Welcome back, folks, to the Lewis Lead Podcast. I'm your host, Alec Lewis. Today, we've got a very special guest for you. His name's Nick DePaula of ESPN and NiceKicks.com. He covers the sneaker world within the NBA, which means shoe deals, which means brands, etc. I thought this conversation was fascinating. I mean, it really was. We discussed Pumas re-entering the shoe world. We talked about new Memphis coach Penny Hardaway and what that means for that university. Uh, Nick spent a lot of time with Penny, so that was interesting. And we touched on what LeBron's move to Los Angeles means for he and Nike. So I, I think that, I mean, I'm a shoe guy. I love Jordans. I love Air Force Ones, and I'm just naming Yeezys, whatever. I'm pure hype beast. Um, but before we get into the conversation, I have to talk about LeBron, and how could I not? I mean, I'm in Los Angeles interning for Yahoo Sports. The buzz around here is crazy. I've seen jerseys. I saw the mural in Venice. Um, <laughs> it's crazy. I, I, I'm, I was happy to see LeBron make this decision, and not because I'm here, but because when the Lakers are good, the NBA is better. And the Warriors are still going to win, which, I mean, yeah, I'm, it's, I hate to say it, but this, this move that LeBron made is great for those who love the NBA and love the storylines that make the NBA what it is. Um, not to mention, it's great for LeBron. I mean, he made this move with this family in mind. He did it because it's Los Angeles, and, I mean, how can you not love the weather? How can you not love the people? I mean, it makes sense. So, it's going to be fascinating to watch. I'm excited as, as a fan of basketball, as a fan of the NBA, to see how the pieces come together with Rondo and Lance Stevenson and JaVale McGee. And, I mean, this is like Space Jam, and there will be Space Jam too, so it kind of fits. But whatever. Um, without further ado, I think you'll enjoy this. Conversation with Nick DePaul of ESPNNiceKicks.com. The sneaker guy. He knows everything about it. So uh, I hope you enjoy this. Let's jump into it. Well, Nick, I can't thank you enough for uh, jumping on. I appreciate it, man. Hey, no problem at all. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. All right, so, I mean, I feel like I have to start where I'm going to start with Puma and what they've done in the sneaker world in these past few months, I think, has raised a lot of eyebrows. I I wouldn't have expected this a year ago. What are your thoughts on Puma's reentering the basketball landscape and and just your thoughts on what they've done in these first few months since launching? Personally, I think it's really exciting. You know, I'm a guy that grew up in the 90s when you had Grant Hill with Fila and Kobe at Adidas with T-Mac and AI and Shaq and Sean, and, uh, Sean Kemp at Reebok, and then, of course, all the great players that Nike had. So I've always been somebody that, that thought, you know, the industry is best when there's multiple brands that are really competitive and all pushing each other. Um, so I think when you look at Puma specifically, you know, it's the first time in 20 years that they're doing a basketball shoe and, and entering the NBA, um, the last of which was, was Vince Carter back in 1998. You know, they had signed a 10-year deal at the time with Vince, um, thinking that he was going to be the guy, which which he was. You know, yeah. He was a rookie of the year <laughs> and an incredible, incredibly explosive high-flying player. Um, but, you know, he was having issues with the footwear, and and they, they actually ended up, you know, severing ties, parting ways um, by the end of his second season. So, you know, the thing back then was they had Vince, they identified the right guy, they signed the great player. Right. But the deal, the deal went south, and then they were kind of stuck. You know, they didn't have anybody else that they could put their shoes on. And at that time, they decided to go more into a lifestyle zone and got out of basketball. So, you know, I think the biggest thing this time around is, 
you know, that, that, that week leading into the draft, I think it caught everybody by surprise that out of nowhere, Puma basketball was the biggest conversation topic. You know, last yeah. year was big baller brand and this year was Puma. So it <laughs> kind of tells you how unexpected things have been. But, um, you know, this has really been in the works for more than a year now. You know, they basically spent the whole college year, you know, really watching guys and I trying to identify who the best players could be. Uh, they eventually pitched more than six guys in the draft. Um, you know, obviously they had also, you know, gone after Trey Young and Colin Sexton, but didn't right. get them. But they ended up they ended up getting a really good batch of guys: uh, DeAndre Ayton, Marvin Bagley, Michael Porter, you know, Junior. Who, you know, those three guys have been in the <laughs> top five for for every mock draft. Obviously, Michael had his had his injury issues, but then they also got Zaire Smith, who's a you know explosive wing player that I think is going to catch some people by surprise. So, you know, I think the biggest learning was just you know, not going all in on one person and having more balance, um, stemming from the, you know, the, the 20 year ago misstep with Vince. Yeah. Um, and then from here, let's uh, see what happens. It's interesting. I, I wanted to talk about Aiton and Bagley. I mean, the one, number one and number two picks and Puma's re-entering yeah. and they grabbed the top two. I mean, from your angle, how impressive is that to jump right in and, and right off the bat, grab two guys like that? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, I think for for every NBA player, you know, you know, actually, so just to back up a little bit for this last for this last NBA season, I actually went through and checked out every single shoe that every single player in the league wore, uh, which which was about as much fun as you could imagine. <laughs> yeah, um, goodness. And so you know, and in, in in doing so, I found out that you know about sixty seven percent of the league wore Nikes about 16.5% wore Adidas, and then you had, you know, another handful of percentages at Jordan and at Under Armour. Right. So there was really kind of, you know, league-wide, um, you know, a lot of guys at a lot of, at just a couple of places. And so I think for, for the Bagleys and Aitons of the world, you know, these are guys that are really expressive, are really outgoing, and are really excited to do a lot of activations. And I think they were looking at Nike Adidas and thinking, you know, Maybe maybe they're going to be lower on the totem pole and not get the attention that they might get if they were to look at a brand like Puma. You know, I think the other really key thing with Puma is, uh, yes, of course they were making a huge, huge financial, um, you know, commitment here, and their offers were incredibly strong and above what everybody else was offering. But at the same time, this isn't a brand that's out of thin air. Uh, this is a brand yeah. that has, you know, six hundred stores globally. They have resources to and great designers and and can activate and put together campaigns right away. So um, I don't think it's as much of a blind risk as maybe some people think it is. And I think there's a lot, you know, that Puma has proven over time that can give players a lot of confidence. Have you heard from anybody at like Nike owner or Adidas about what Puma has done? And if so, I mean, I'm sure it's been talked about in, in the space. What, what are their thoughts in, a, in broad terms? I think everybody was really excited about it. I think, you know, a big part of it is that Puma's been pretty outspoken in terms of they're looking to, to take a different approach and not just be another basketball performance brand. Um, you know, they've, they've, they've had their marketing folks doing a couple of interviews where they've said that, you know, they're going to try to really support players if, they, if players want to have a social cause where they get after it. Um, and I think that's something that other brands at times are shy about. You know, obviously they're bigger 
bigger companies, bigger enterprises, and we've seen with, with Colin Kaepernick and other people how sometimes that can be polarizing. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and so I think Puma's thing is let's really empower guys to not just be athletes, but to be community ambassadors. Let's give guys a lot of input and a lot of creative freedom to express themselves on, whether it's shoes or clothing as well. And then I think the Jay-Z element's interesting too. I mean, I, I don't know if he's a guy that people look to for his style, and I don't think he has been for, you know, uh, probably since uh, since he said All Black Everything, which is about <laughs> 10 years ago. Yeah. Um, but, I, but I think he's definitely a guy that regardless, every player is, you know, really respects from a business standpoint and to be yeah. able to align with Jay-Z and maybe glean some intel and, and some insight. I think that's definitely... You know, not not a, not even a style thing, but more of a business structure thing, and and that part of it is really appealing for players as well. So, uh, I think they have a lot of interesting, you know, positives and things that can potentially entice players. And I think the other thing that everybody at the brand was saying was, hey, you know what? That first shoe isn't so bad. You know, it's a good effort. It's a knit update to the Clyde, and um, and I think people are curious to see where the footwear goes too. Yeah, definitely. I'm curious, and I know you've written about this in in past times, kind of the inside on what it takes to get a guy to sign with your sneaker brand. But I just for background, I covered Michael Porter this past year at Missouri. I covered Missouri basketball. So I'm curious, like, when Puma is approaching Michael Porter throughout this process, do you, do you know, I mean, how this process went in terms of how – long it took them to kind of brainstorm for this or select guys and then what they pitched to guys like Michael Porter um, leading up until they're signing? You know, it's, it's a great question because obviously uh, I would say over the last year, year and a half, there's been definitely quite quite a bit of news in terms of how shoe brands interact with high school and college players. For and sure. obviously there was a lot to be, you know, a lot to be said with the FBI investigation and whatnot. And so, I think that's one of the more interesting parts of this whole piece is, you know, I think it's fairly reported how close Marvin Bagley was with Nike. You know, his dad coached an AAU team that was uh, unmistakably called Nike family. (laughs) And, you know, obviously, you know, Marvin played at Duke, one of Nike's longtime priority schools. And then, um, you know, Michael Porter Jr. played at Nike AAU team, Nike high school, Nike college. So I think that was always the expectation was that Nike was in the mix to get those guys. But it kind of goes to show you, too, how much Puma can can really surprise guys with, with not only a great offer, but um, just the marketing commitment and, and being able to make things really feel personal. And I think that was kind of the biggest selling points was, you know, the, the guys that are coming in, whether it's DeAndre, Marvin, and Michael Porter, like, these are, these are big personality guys. Um, these are, you know, exciting, exciting guys that, that want to be activated, that want to be involved. And so I think for them, too, it's it's the fact that, A, you're going to be part of this kind of Puma rebirth, which is definitely exciting. Yeah, definitely. And, B, you, you could be included in, you know, lifestyle campaigns, running campaigns. You know, it doesn't have to just be a basketball shoe campaign, which is something I don't think some of the other brands were offering necessarily. So um, there's a lot of dynamics to it, and I think it definitely had a lot of people at Nike in particular kind of take a step back and reassess, you know, are we really – investing all this time and, and effort and energy into recruiting kids, you know, before they go pro and is that maybe the right approach or should we be relooking at it? So I, I think a lot of the summer basketball questions 
uh, A, because of the FBI stuff, but B, because of the fact that maybe players are just interested in the best offer as they turn pro. I think a lot of that stuff's going to be reassessed for sure. Yeah, exactly. That was my next question. And, and it revolves around the Nike UIBL circuit, the Adidas Gauntlet, Under Armour Association. I mean, these are all summer basketball circuits that I've covered and that, I mean, have a pretty high profile. Puma doesn't have a circuit. And they, they like you said, I mean, they pulled off um, a great class. I mean, do you think Puma will enter that space or no? I mean, showing what they've done already, maybe they don't need to at all. Well, I, I think that's, you know, if, now if I was Puma, I would say, hey, clearly you don't actually have to be an AAU. You could just make a compelling product and have, you know, good marketing commitments right. and a strong offer. They'll get guys, you know. Um, but I think the big thing for them and, and, and for Marvin Bagley in particular you know, his dad is, is a lifelong coach and, and really enjoys coaching kids and, and, and impacting kids in that way. So I think for them, that was part of it was that, you know, they're going to look to do some stuff, whether it's AAU or camps. Um, and I think Puma's going to get involved in terms of impacting kids at a lower lower age um, and, and trying to, you know, trying to usher in that next generation. I think I think as it relates to some of the community elements I touched on, too, you know, I think Puma's probably going to look at it a different way versus just doing a straight AAU summer tournament. Yeah, I think I think they I could see them totally bringing in, you know, workshop elements, um, you know, music, music, and and kind of some fun creative elements to it that that kind of you know it becomes not just a straight basketball academy, but but something where you could potentially you know give kids more of a well-rounded. Um, you know, guidance as, as they're kind of, you know, being in high school and then looking on to college potentially. So right. it feels, I think it's super interesting. Yeah, it feels like, I mean, if you include those types of elements, you 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 kind of like prepare these guys from a brand standpoint, which is has become such a huge thing in this day and age. No, for sure. And I think obviously, you know, big baller brand being at the upper echelon of, of pushing forth that mentality. But we, we saw Bagley, the, the Bagley family, you know, looking into all those dynamics of, of branding and marketing, you know, early on when, when Marvin was still in high school too. So I, I think the current generation of kids, I mean, you have so many high school kids that are, before they even enter their college scholarship, they already have a huge following on Instagram and, you know, are, and are potentially, you know, having an influence on, on middle school and younger kids. And so I, I think people are really looking at it closely in terms of, you know, how do I control my own likeness or what's my potential real marketing, uh, you know, lane here. And, and guys are really taking ownership of that, which is cool to see at a young yeah, age. For sure. Um, I want to talk about you for a second. You started out in the bit. I mean, I, you're located in Portland. You've covered yep. the sneaker game for a while. I would say you started at soul collector in 2007. Is that right? Uh, well, yeah, my first, you launched, man, this is, Still, still so long ago. So Soul Collector <laughs> launched in 2003, and that was the fall of my freshman year of college at the University of Oregon, which was in Eugene, and it's about, you know, a 90-minute, two-hour drive south of Nike. Yeah. Um, so my first two years in college, I spent just pestering the Soul Collector guys, trying to have them let me do an article. Um, it took me about two years, but they finally, you know, they finally let me write an article in the you know, at the time they had a section called Focus Shop, which was a profile of a, of a boutique, and Focus Collector, a profile of a collector. And I pitched this idea of Focus Artist, um, a profile of an aspiring shoe designer. 
cool. And somehow, some way, I found this kid, Justin Taylor, who was living at his mom's house in Arkansas. I did a story on him, and Melo was on the cover. This was in 2005, I think. It was the fall. So Melo, Carmelo Anthony was on the cover of the issue. Um, and one saw the article, called up Justin Taylor, hired him on the spot. Wow. A year later, he got hired at Jordan Brand. And JT has actually been doing the Mellow shoes. Obviously, the Mellow line has, has since been faded yeah, out. But yeah. you know, he, ended up, he ended up designing about five or six of Carmelo's shoes, which is wow. a crazy story. So, um, you know, that was kind of his – I mean, he was incredibly talented and eventually going to get hired for sure. But <laughs> yeah. that was kind of his starting point was, was that article. And then for me, that became the starting point too. And so, you know, I was at Soul Collector from basically – 0506 until about 2014. Uh, we, we eventually sold the magazine to Complex, which I'm sure everybody's familiar with Complex. Definitely. Um, and then from there, I kind of, um, you know, had been, I, you know, it's, it's funny because obviously sneaker media is not the most intense journalistic topic. Um, you know, it's a fun thing about basketball and about sneakers and everybody in the, in the business at least. You know, isn't necessarily a journalism background for the most part. We just grew up loving sneakers. You know, <laughs> exactly, I happen yeah. to have a journalism background, but that's I've come to find that's pretty rare. Um, and so the funny thing is, you know, everybody at every blog I've always been great friends with. I, it was never a competitor kind of dynamic. So uh, Matt Hassel, who was the founder of Nice Kicks, um, you know, after we had sold the magazine to Complex, you know, I was basically trying to figure out if I wanted to stay or what to do, and I ended up partnering up with Matt um, over at Nice Kicks and. And then that kind of led into, um, you know, basically forming a friendship and, and uh, meeting Adrian Wojnarowski, who, of course, everybody knows as Woj. <laughs> yeah. That's what kind of brought me down this path. And and I think along the way, it started out as, as um, you know, I was a kid that just intensely loved the NBA and, and the players and, 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 by extension, the basketball shoes that guys were wearing because I was playing myself. And then that really dove into learning about the design and that side of it. And then as I got into, um, you know, at the time writing for the vertical with Woj and, and now with ESPN, I think the natural progression is just the shoe deal side of it and, and how all the business elements work and, and, and how things are, you know, looking for all the different brands going forward. And so that's kind of been the snapshot of, of how it's all gone. And, um, you know, I'm still, I'm still trying, I mean, I'm, I'm washed up at this point, but I'm still trying to play balls off as I can and still, <laughs> still buy sneakers probably too often and and um, i'm still you know enjoying it just as much as when i started so it's pretty fun yeah those aren't bad things at all how much i mean you you probably like never imagined that you would be writing about sneakers and the business for esp how much of this is kind of like a dream for you well it's funny because um i actually did want to do this probably since i was 10 years old wow. so i specifically remember seeing the zoom flight 95 uh, when I was 10 at, at the mall in the black and carbon fiber colorway. And, you know, Jason Kidd and Penny Hardaway were my, were my favorite players at that point, and then Jason Williams later on, uh, which means I throw a lot of turnovers in games. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, I think, you know, the, the, the kind of insight for me as a kid, I was 13 years old when Slam Magazine launched uh, Kicks, which was the first ever sneaker magazine. Wow. Uh, that was in 1998. I have a pristine copy of Kicks sitting right next to me at my desk just as a, as a keepsake. And, um, you know, there was articles in there about designer interviews, and, and it was kind of the first thing where you realize, like, A, somebody actually draws and creates a shoe. You know, people don't really even know how that process works sometimes. Um, and then, B, you know, there was this whole world about you could possibly write about it. Um, and so I think, you know, I was 13.
18. I think that's about the age that most kids realize that they're not going to make the NBA themselves. Me included. And, and, you know, you go from thinking you're going to be the number one pick and go to Michigan and all that to, to all of a sudden realizing, hey, that's probably not going to happen. <laughs> um, and so I think then the, the, shift, the focus shifts into, uh, you know, how can I, if, if this is my passion, how can I somehow be involved or work around the game? And so that's, that's where everything kind of shifted. Um, the funny story is, you know, when I was a senior in high school, we had our grad night, and they rolled out this big piece of white paper. And, I, and you're supposed to write what you're going to be doing in 10 years. And I was going to write that I was going to be writing for Slam Magazine and, and Kicks <laughs> Magazine. And so I think that was kind of always something I was geared on, and I've just been a sponge along the way to try to awesome. learn everything I can about brands and sneakers and, and try to turn that into a, a reality and then somehow it worked out, you know? If you could tell your 13-year-old self something to prepare you for what you're doing now, what would it be? So I always tease my mom because um, as much as I loved and was into shoes, I actually didn't have all the best shoes growing up. Because, <laughs> you know, for, you know we, we, were, we were on a budget at the time and so, you know, I had a $40 budget in elementary and middle school and then I had a $50 budget in high school. And there were some instances where I could, you know, chip in. I didn't really, you know, have my allowance or whatever, but I could chip in and maybe get a 70 or $80 shoe on sale. So I always tease my mom if I was 13 and she had bought me $100 Air Pennies or $150 Jordans, I might have gone out of that phase and who knows what I would be doing now, you know. I yeah, that's crazy. You know, I think it was, always, it was always the nostalgia of being in my 20s and going back and buying the stuff that I couldn't get growing up that kind of, you know, really you know, ramped up my interest and amplified uh, this whole collecting part of it. So it's funny. I think, you know, when you look back and you're in middle school, I think the thing I always would tell myself and did was, you know, I obviously I was a solid student and that was you know something to focus on, but I really tried to learn everything I could outside of school, specifically to basketball. You know, I was trying to figure out how the contracts work, um, really try to understand the business of sports, and also just reading online on message boards at the time and, you know, things like Adweek, Business Insider, Business of Fashion, just all the different, you know, blogs that are out there just to try to just grasp as much as I could about the industry. And that's really what kind of helped to inform me. Uh, and then, you know, you kind of couple that with the journalism degree, I guess, and, and hope for the best. So uh, that was kind of the starting point and, um, you know, still still how I approach things now. It's really cool. Um Want to segue back? I mean, I'm I'm here in LA. Obviously, everything in Los Angeles now is about LeBron, and we're taping this Monday evening. And I think like the the Clutch Sports tweet, like regarding the official signing, just went out. So I know you wrote about it today about what LeBron's move to Los Angeles means for Nike for him. I mean, for those who who did it who haven't read it yet on ESPN.com, where you can find that story. What what does this move really mean for? for uh, LeBron James, for Nike? You know, I think it's interesting because in today's era of social media, so many people have always said, you know, well, LeBron transcended his market by being in Cleveland and being a global icon. You know, the same for KD and Russell Westbrook during their time at OKC. Um, But I, I would never discount the impact of being in New York or being in L.A. if you are that level of a star player. Um, you know, the, the global fan base that the Lakers franchise has. Right. And just the, the energy that you can create in a market that's 10 times the size of Cleveland and the number two TV market, you know, I, I would never understate and discount that. And I think the bigger thing, too, is 
You know, there is no mistaking the fact that Maverick Carter's office is on the studio lot at the Warner Brothers Studios. <laughs> uh, you know, I think I think LeBron and his partners are incredibly savvy and, and oftentimes don't get enough credit um, for the for the kind of the business moves I they've agree. been making throughout the entire entire you know enterprise. And so, I don't think it's any coincidence that obviously LeBron, you know, I think carries a confidence about himself that he probably looked at the season and said, well. You know, I got to beat I got to beat the Warriors once, regardless whether I'm in the East or the West. So, you know, let's see how this goes. And I, I think it was a move for, you know, I, th- I think the basketball prospects will shake itself out, and, and that remains to be seen how the team, you know, you know, fares out for the for the start of the season here. But this is a move that's gonna, you know, really, you know, just blow up his profile in terms of movies potentially and TV. And I think it's gonna set everything up, you know, long term. You know, as I as I kind of mentioned in the article. You know, LeBron probably has five, maybe six years left playing, and he's going to have a long time, uh, long term relationship with Nike that's going to, you know, potentially go well into his fifties. Yeah. Um, so I think this this move is going to basically set up the entire next chapter of all that. You know, I think it's interesting because you look at Kobe, who I think people thought had the potential to do that, but he's largely been out of the limelight and didn't want to be as visible once he retired and you know, stopped being attached to the game and is really, you know, yeah. folks daughters and has and has really kind of dedicated himself more to the storytelling and and um, you know, content creation and, and kind of venture capitalism world. Whereas I think LeBron's gonna be the opposite and he'll be fully visible, you know, in movies and really hands on in terms of um, kind of the way Magic Johnson was, you know, when he retired. And so I, I think that's all goes into the appeal for LeBron. I think everybody at Nike, you know, it, they had no complaints had he had, if he were to stay in Cleveland. You know, everything was was in a good spot, and they felt great about the LeBron 15 and, and the concept of the LeBron watch this past season. Um, but I don't think there's any underestimating the excitement that everybody has now that he's going to LA too, and, and what that can do for everything. So it's going to be great to see. Definitely makes sense. From one Nike athlete to another, um, I want to ask a few quick things about Penny Hardaway, who was hired as yeah. Memphis's basketball coach. Um, this past year I mean he's the first major coach college coach to have a major Nike deal I mean how unique is this for people that really aren't in tune to it all it's it's interesting because there's now that there's this whole era of basically 90s icons that are entering the coaching world you know you've had Patrick Ewan who had a signature shoe back in the day and he's now coaching Georgetown but you know it's totally different when it's Penny Hardaway arguably has perhaps the most iconic non-Air Jordan shoe with the foam posit, uh, which every kid, regardless of whether or not they saw him play, you know, kids are familiar with that shoe. Uh, the fact that he's coaching at a Nike school as a, you know, he's still an ongoing Nike endorser. Um, I, I think they're going to make that team the first ever, you know, one cent team. Wow. And, you know, they don't have to necessarily do foam posit PEs for the current players. You could wear hyper dunks with the one cent logo. And I think that would be amazing. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, I think the, the enthusiasm and kind of work ethic that Penny approaches everything with uh, is just contagious. And, and I think, you know, overnight you're kind of seeing how he's recruiting and, and the roster that they're going to eventually put together long term there. And, uh, you know, I'm, I've actually worked with Penny a ton. Yeah. Um, we designed a five shoe Penny pack in Las, for, a, for an event in Las Vegas back in my Soul Collector days. You know, I actually registered I am one cent on Instagram in the early days of Instagram and texted it to him and said, Hey, I think Instagram might might be something worth checking out. Like you should go start 
go start this account, but, you know, change the password. I forget, you know, I, I made like a simplified password. I That's think it nuts. was a little penny or something. <laughs> and, um, and uh, you know, I, I think Penny's one of those guys that, you know, I, I always say if he if he was never hurt, I think he's a top three point guard of all time and a, and a you know, no, without question, Hall of Famer that is potentially a you know multiple champion, multiple gold medalist, and so you know, I think his his peak being a first team All NBA player in just his third season, you know, those those peak years kind of live on forever, and 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 of course the handful of signature shoes he had does as well, and and I'm excited for him. I think he's going to do great stuff at Memphis. I'm really. I'm really excited. It's it's awesome to follow him on Instagram, and he's working out himself, <laughs> yeah, and then he's, he's practicing with guys, and he's recruiting on the road, and he's just always going. And you know, I've been out to his place in Memphis quite a few times, and I've been around him in the Nike meetings, and he's just such a great guy and such a sharp and, and engaging character that I don't see how this doesn't doesn't go great for him. And I know everybody at Nike's excited for him too. That's awesome. You said, I mean. You said this could be the first one cent school. So can they like, I mean, I don't know the rules and how it all. I mean, can they put the the one cent logo on the uniforms essentially, or I don't know as far as that goes if that's possible. So it's totally unprecedented, um, but at the same time, you know, I, I did a podcast with ESPN Memphis, uh, and they had asked if it would be a recruiting violation, and, and I don't think it would be. Um, you know, I think it's it's a really un- usual dynamic <laughs> yeah but it's not like it's not like nike isn't already making oregon you know endless player exclusives and, and specialized gear and things like that it's true i think this would fall under that same kind of scope um similar to how jordan brand has north carolina exactly um you know a couple other schools as well so I, I would put it in the obviously jordan didn't coach at, at carolina but i would put it in that same silo where uh, it's very unique with Penny being the coach, but I don't think of it as being a, a recruiting violation. And, and I haven't heard anything from anybody at Nike in terms of, of that being the case. I, I think they're they're still looking at it. Nothing's been decided yet, but if they want to go forward with it, I don't see there being many roadblocks, and I think it would be exciting to see. That's really, really interesting. So a few rapid-fire ones, then I'll get you out of here. Um, cool. I, what's your favorite non-Nike silhouette not maybe something that people a shoe that people don't really think of when they think of a favorite shoe i mean growing up i mean my i had favorites from every brand which was so much fun because and that's kind of why i've always come to appreciate all the different brands and you know can be excited about puma coming up and things like that because that's how i grew up you know i grew up really following everything um the top 10 2010 was kobe bryant's rookie shoe with adidas and then the kb8 of course uh, those those to me were just awesome shoes at the time, and I was a huge fan of the Shaq Gnosis and the Kamikaze, which were Sean Kemp and yeah, Shaq's shoes. Yeah. You know, I've always been really drawn to like these hugely expressive and bold shoes that, you know, it's it's funny because now with HD TV you can literally see the shoe on TV and that's <laughs> fine. Back in the day, it was, unless you had a shoe like that, you couldn't really make it out on TV. You know, you had to really squint. <laughs> Uh, and so those were the kinds of shoes that, you know, in the pages of Slam and, and on those fat back TVs, old school TVs, you know, those were the things that really caught my attention and imagination. So, you know, I always kind of still gravitate to stuff like that nowadays. Um, you know, I think, you know, Adidas is, is going to be doing some interesting stuff here too, but obviously they had a, 
you know, probably a, a downturn, and now they're back on the resurgence with, with Boost and things like that. Yeah. So, you know, I'm excited to see what everybody does. I, I know more recently the, the Curry 4 is a shoe that I really, really like. I just thought that was an awesome shoe. Uh, it was it was exciting how Steph kind of debuted those in the finals early, and it was kind of a new energy for him. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I always kind of keep an open mind to everything. Um, I've seen Clay Thompson's KT4 for this next season. It's really sharp and, and solid. So, you know, I think there's a lot of stuff out there and a lot of good products that a lot of brands are making. Um, I always kind of point to the that mid-90s, late-90s era as being my favorite and um, kind of where all the stuff that, that I always really was drawn into sneakers uh, lies on. Good stuff. All right, favorite Yeezy. I know a lot is gonna. A lot of people will be interested. Oh, uh, man, that's a tough one. I know. I'm, I'm putting you on you know, the You know, the 350 is so comfortable. Uh, it's obviously a more stripped down version of, of uh, you know, just kind of an easy, easy wearable silhouette. I love, I love the black, the black, pink collar and, and glow out sole easy twos though. I, I think for everybody that's such a defining shoe for Kanye. You know, yeah. to watch the throne on at the time, and and I think that was, you know, fairly, I, you know, under, I would probably, I would probably say it's fair to say that that was really the height of his influence and. Obviously, he's still influential, but that was really where I think everybody at the brand looked at it and said, you know, this this isn't just some some new rapper collaboration, you <laughs> yeah. know, similar to what Reebok had done. Like, this isn't this is kind of its own thing, and this is totally different, you know. And I think that's kind of why Kanye was frustrated because he really sensed that and, and had the vision of himself as as being a unique endorser and not a signature basketball player and not a rap, you know, not just another rapper collaboration, but but being, but really having an eye for design and also having that influence and, and being a, an icon of music at that time. And so I think that shoe in particular, the black, the black, and, the black and coral, I think easy too. that thing is a kind of one of those timeless, awesome shoes that, that really at that time was a frenzy. And, and even all these years, you know, I think what, yeah, five, five, years, five, six years later is now, um, man, that thing is still awesome. And so, uh, you know, I'm lucky to have a pair of those. I somehow lucked into them. And that's one of those shoes I think I'll always hang on to just because it, it just represented such a cool time uh, at that moment. Yeah, that 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 would probably be mine as well. And then lastly, this is a, this is a... Having, said, having said that, I can't wait for the Adidas basketball shoot. I will say that. Interesting. Um, I've seen a few things. I mean, obviously can't go into too much detail. Yeah. But uh, from what I saw, I was extremely excited and I, I was almost to the point of being frustrated that it hasn't released yet and that's been delayed. But, um, You're like mad over it. <laughs> yeah, I, I think, you know, Kanye has such a strong point of view and, and they've kind of developed such an interesting design language with that kind of, um, you know, line, vertical lines, midsole and and kind of the different textures and, and um, the way they're doing the knit patterns and things like that. So sure. I think it's going to be really exciting. And, and uh, as we've seen, you know, he can, he can release something and it'll be a little out there, but that's where, that's where the excitement is. And it'll push, yeah. push them down. Hopefully. So we'll see. Yeah. And then lastly, in the shoe themed rapid fire, your favorite Jordan silhouette. Favorite Jordan silhouette. Um, it's funny. Cause since I didn't actually grow up having any air Jordans, a single pair, um, you know, my favorite would probably be, I always lean on, I'm always a big, like black shoe and white outsole fan. So like the playoff 12s, okay, black and red 11s, 
And the Indigo 14 is a sleeper shoe for me that I just think is incredible. Um, those three, I would always say, and of course the Concord 11s yeah. are the ones that I really gravitated to. I mean, I love the Black Cement 4s and, and uh, Black Royal 1s and, and some of the early ones too, but you know, since I didn't have access to that stuff basically growing up, I was always looking ahead at you know the Zoom Flight stuff, the stuff Jason Kidd was wearing, the stuff Kevin Garnett was wearing. Knowing that the, the retro Jordan thing you know, wasn't going to be a conversation my mom was excited to have and, and was actually going to be a pretty quick no. Yeah. Uh, so, so you know, I think I might have had a different upbringing than most. I, I definitely have a lot of the early Jordans now, um, but my favorites are still in that 11, 12, 14 range for sure. That's awesome. Well, Nick, I can't thank you enough for the time. It was fun. I appreciate it. You do a great job for ESPN. So, um, like I said, I, I can't thank you enough, and um, I appreciate you jumping on the Lewis Lee Podcast. All right, thanks a lot for having me, man. I appreciate the interest, and um, talk to you soon. I appreciate it. Again, I want to thank Nick for jumping on. You can follow him on Twitter and Instagram at N-I-C-K-D-E-P-A-U-L-A. The conversation was amazing. He really teased us with the the Adidas shoe, didn't he? I mean, I'm going to be in the market for a, a new shoe as I get ready to tear up the Mizzou wreck this fall. Um, so that's definitely one I'm going to look for. You can find this podcast on SoundCloud or on iTunes. We'd love if you could give us a rating and subscribe. Uh, this is fun for me. I hope it's fun for you. If you have any suggestions, any tips, any critiques, any guests you'd like to hear, definitely hit me up on Twitter at Alec underscore Lewis. Um, and if, you, if, if you're looking for sports news, if you're looking for sports updates, catch them at Yahoo Sports, yahoosports.com. Um, If things work out, we'll have another episode this weekend that you won't want to miss. In the meantime, hope you have a fantastic week. Thank you for listening to the Lewis Lee Podcast.